Three C's in a Pod, a weekly podcast from Provision Advisors. A look at the good, the bad, and the what could be better in the world of communication. Hello and welcome to Three C's in a Pod from Provision Advisors, where we give you insights and analysis on the day's hot topics and trends in the comms environment. Today we're going to spend some time talking about the current status of protest across the nation, and more specifically, how companies and organizations are choosing to respond to the apparent culture shift that's underway in America. Now, as a precursor, we want to introduce you to our special guest today on the show, Admiral Ted Carter. He's the current president of the University of Nebraska, and we'll ask to give us uh, his perspective on the intersection of leadership and communications. Now, John, you spent a considerable amount of time with Admiral Carter. Uh, why do you see him as someone who's capable of being out front on a variety of these communication topics that are out here today? Yeah, thanks, Bash. I think the thing that people will be able to understand within the first five minutes of listening to Admiral Carter's interview is that he is not afraid of taking on communication. Um, you know, I've always said that you, you know a lot of communicators out there who are probably not good leaders, but it's a very, very rare case, and I would say it's probably never the case that you have a really good leader who isn't a good communicator. Ted Carter is both, and, and that's why we at ProVision wanted to um, bring him on the show and let everyone hear from him and his perspective. And I think what people will hear right out of the gate is we didn't even prep him. We didn't even say, hey, talk about the racial unrest, talk about uh, the George Floyd matter, talk about the protests in Lincoln. He immediately came right out and wanted to address it. Um, and it shows not that he's cavalier, but that he's confident in, in the direction he's given as a leader and in the narrative that he has established as a communicator. And then what he does as a great leader and communicator is he, he empowers his team to go out and do it. He does not micromanage them. He does not play Monday morning quarterback, he goes out and he trusts you implicitly to communicate on his behalf. And when you're not doing it on his behalf, he's doing it really effing well on his own. Um, and we've seen a bunch of that on LinkedIn and on Twitter. And I'll, my last thing will be to encourage every single one of our listeners to find Ted Carter on LinkedIn, find Ted Carter on Twitter. And if you are a leader of an organization, there's a lot you can learn from Ted Carter. Thanks, John. Chris, your, uh, your introduction to Admiral Carter goes back uh, almost two decades. Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, I first met uh, Ted Carter. He was uh, the executive officer, the number two person on USS Harry S. Truman. Uh, and much like John described, it was obvious even 18, 19 years ago that in addition to understanding the elements of how to lead the men and women on board the ship. He also knew how to bring all that together through his communication style, both in his interpersonal communication style and when he was communicating on behalf of the captain or the admiral uh, to the entire crew. Like John, uh, was real happy to have him on. Um, and I think what the audience will get, uh, hopefully, as they listen to him, is not just that Ted Carter gets it, but you'll see that... Um, in this interview and in a lot of the conversations that we have, leadership is really wasted without solid communication. Mm -hmm. Solid communication isn't solid if there isn't leadership or action backing it up. And so that that's what's exciting about bringing somebody like Ted on um, that demonstrates the real meat of how the two come together. You take all those characteristics uh, and combine them with 
uh, an ability to be uh, charismatic and and likable with whoever he he comes across. And I know he gets tired of me telling the story. Uh, and I think Chris, we we like we met him almost at the same time in just two totally different atmospheres. Um, you know, here here I was meeting uh, Admiral Carter, then Captain Carter, for the first time in a man's Chinese theater out in uh, out in Bel Air. Uh, with the uh, with the premiere of the movie Tears of the Sun with Bruce Willis, and that night, um, everyone, as far as the military personnel, we had already walked that red carpet rather quickly, getting out of the way for all of the you know the the superstars and, and movie actors and things like that. So we were waiting inside, just sort of standing off to the side, and who walks in but Bruce Willis? At that time, pretty much a rising star going from, you know, to, from television and now into movies, uh, action hero. You know, he's on, on that upslope. Bruce Willis comes in those doors and makes a beeline for Admiral Carter. And I mean, just, just forget everybody else that was in there, all the names that were in there. Gives him a big hug. And I was just like, whoa, that's Bruce Willis. But who is this guy? you know, that that's getting his, you know, getting this guy's attention. So, um, yeah, glad, you know, just great to have him on the show today. Um, really want to hear from him, uh, about what, uh, what he has to say about the, uh, the current, uh, status of things that are going on across the nation and just what he's doing out there at Nebraska, uh, to address some of these things. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll have our interview with Admiral Ted Carter. You're listening to three C's on a pod. Provision Advisors, we prepare your team for the what-ifs you never thought you'd encounter. Let us help solve your toughest communication challenges and leave your team stronger and more capable for the opportunities that lie ahead. All right, welcome back to Three C's in a Pod. We are now joined by a very special guest and friend of the show. He's the former commander of the Enterprise Carrier Strike Group, Top Gun graduate, was the 54th president of the Naval War College, and served as the 62nd superintendent of the United States Naval Academy before retiring to become the eighth president of the University of Nebraska system. Ladies and gentlemen, Admiral Ted Slapshot Carter. Admiral, thank you for being with us on the show today. It's great to be with you, Bashan, and, uh, and, and all of our friends in the uh, Washington, D.C. and Annapolis area. So, Admiral, I'll start it off. Uh, first of all, so good to, uh, to see you and talk to you again. Uh, you were my my really my final boss when I was in the Navy, uh, when I was the PAO there for you at the Naval Academy. Can you talk a little bit about how your transition has gone from being the superintendent, being a fairly long serving superintendent uh, for about five years, and then going into academia as the president of the University of, of Nebraska system? How is that transition gone and how have you seen the the leadership and communication lessons you learned and and honed in the navy how have they translated to the nebraska challenge you have well first of all uh, thank you john and i and i want to acknowledge uh, the unique uh, moment in time that we're all in uh, i think this is a special time for us to be uh, empathetic and listening uh, and understanding the voices that are out there uh, and just trying to be uh, better listeners uh, I'll tell you that uh, as I have uh, approaching a year of coming out of uniform after serving 38 years in the Navy, without question, the highlight of my career was uh, having the privilege of leading the U.S. Naval Academy for just a, a little bit over five years and uh, working with a phenomenal team. Uh, they have a great team there now, and they've had to live through some of the most unusual times ever, getting through a 100-year you know, uh, ever pandemic and uh, the rise of racial friction that we're seeing right now. 
Uh, I'm appreciative of all the things that are being done on the campus now, uh, and I and I do uh, follow all that. Now, uh, for me personally, uh, to have the opportunity to stay in higher education, to go from uh, being in uniform for uh, 38 years, to lead the Naval Academy and the Naval War College, and to be given this opportunity to lead here in Nebraska, it's a real blessing. I'm so fortunate. Uh, it wasn't what I expected. And uh, there are some amazing parallels. There are some things that are uh, similar and some things that are very different. Uh, this is a, a, a unique part of higher ed in the, the landscape of our country. Uh, Nebraska is a relatively sparsely populated state, around 2 million people for a very large state, 500 miles wide, 200 miles north to south, and uh, 51,000 students across four campuses. Of course, the flagship University of Nebraska-Lincoln, the Cornhuskers, our metropolitan campus in Omaha, the University of Nebraska Omaha Mavericks. Uh, we have a, a world-renowned medical center that has our own 4,000 uh, students for doctors, nursing, pharmacists, uh, dentists, and then a, a more rural campus out in uh, Kearney, which is uh, exactly in the middle of our country, exact same distance between Boston to Kearney and Kearney to San Francisco uh, with their own uh, roughly 6,500 students, 20,000 faculty and staff, we're one of the largest economic drivers in the entire state. Uh, we are responsible for about $4.5 billion in economics for the state. We have a, a state budget uh, that comes to us from the taxpayers of roughly around $600 million a year. So it's, uh, it's about a seven to one return on state investment dollars. And our mission, um, not too dissimilar from the Naval Academy, is to educate young men and women to go into the workforce and be productive citizens. And, uh, you know, I came in here uh, with the idea that I could uh, grow this university system, uh, help the uh, Nebraska economy, build a, 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 a better workforce for the state of Nebraska and our neighboring states and the rest of the country. Uh, and just as everybody, uh, we've gone through uh, this amazing period of COVID-19. Um, so the leadership lessons that I learned in uniform and how to be able to plan, be reactive, uh, think through, uh, you know, what I would call in my previous life the fog of war. Now I call the fog of COVID-19 uh, and be uh, proactive, <clears throat> I think has served us well. Uh, we're, we're looking uh, pretty positively for our session in the fall. So a popular story that I always like to tell about you, sir, is, you know, within your first two weeks of coming aboard as the Naval Academy superintendent, you signed up for a pretty tough away game. Uh, and and we we drove down to Washington D.C. and you did an editorial board with the Washington Post. And this was after years and years of of really having a hard time, uh, you know, getting our leadership at the Naval Academy to engage uh, with the press in that way. And we had just come off of a really challenging sexual assault trial with the football team. We had a lot of stuff going on and and for you to go down there and and play that tough away game with the Washington Post showed a lot and it kind of set the tone uh, for for your uh, for the entirety of your you know communication uh, during your time as a superintendent. We have noticed on this show that you've done a very similar thing at Nebraska, uh, you know, being very, very active on social media, very active on LinkedIn, very active on Twitter. Have you found that people have been refreshed uh, by your approach of, of using communications and using social media to hit the myriad audiences out there? Yeah, it probably won't surprise uh, any listeners. Uh, just as in Annapolis and Washington, D.C., people care about higher education. They care about places like the U.S. Naval Academy. 
and they definitely care about uh, all of our campuses here in Nebraska. So uh, using some uh, you know, similar ideas, uh, I've been very proactive. Uh, I believe in being transparent uh, and honest in, uh, in how we communicate. Uh, I was told coming into this job, and I can validate it's true, that uh, the University of Nebraska system president is the second most visible person in the entire state, second only to the governor. Uh, I am uh, communicating with somebody in the media or the press uh, just about daily, whether it be radio show, TV show, uh, newspaper, social media. So uh, yes, a lot of what I did at the Naval Academy uh, uh, set me up well to come here and be ready to do that. Uh, I'm very fortunate. I'm surrounded by an amazing team, uh, four chancellors, what most people might consider the campus presidents, uh, very talented, um, and they uh, obviously have their own communication skills themselves. Uh, I've developed a very close relationship with uh, probably one of the most unique legislative branches of any state in the country, not a two uh, house, a Senate and a house, it's a unicameral. So 49 senators represent the entire state in one body. Uh, and of course the governor, uh, and you just can't move forward without uh, working closely with all of those. Uh, the farming community here, uh, this is a state where, you know, 92% of the landmass is dedicated to farming or agriculture. So to have a relationship for somebody that's lived on the ocean or on the coast all my life and to come to, you know, a, a state and begin my relationship with the farming and agricultural community was really critical. And uh, I've been afforded that uh, even before COVID-19, an opportunity to speak to those communities and, and to make sure that we work hand in glove with them. We do have uh, quite a connection with them. We have an extension part of our educational system that touches uh, all uh, 92 counties within the, the state. Uh, and that's, uh, that's really, really important. I mean, we're the number one red meat producer in the entire country. We're actually number three for production of corn, which might surprise people. And you know, the more fun question is when somebody says, why would an admiral wanna to come to Nebraska? Uh, I remind people that Nebraska has more miles of river than any state in the country, 79,500 miles. So I'm pretty comfortable. There's plenty of water around here, although most of it's not navigable. I had the great fortune of meeting you 19 years ago when you were the executive officer on board USS Harry S. Truman. And it was obvious even to a young Lieutenant JG and the rest of the 5,000 shipmates on board Truman that in addition to being a competent and compassionate leader, communication was central to how you wanted to uh, lead as an executive officer. And, you know, for folks that maybe aren't familiar with that position, if the captain of the ship is the CEO of the organization, um, as the executive officer, you were the COO, the chief operating officer, and you definitely made Truman run, but central to making it run was your communication style. Can you talk a little bit about how that style came together and how you've cultivated that throughout your Navy and now uh, into your civilian career? I reflect back on my time on Truman. And I, yes, I, I remember you uh, coming there as a, as a young Lieutenant JG. I remember you getting qualified up on the flight deck and you being an incredibly hard worker. So yeah, I remember that uh, vividly. Uh, you know, that was a, a fantastic command and they still are a fantastic command today. I noticed they're in the news again today. Uh, you know, the first time I sat down with the leadership of the uh, USS Harry S. Truman, uh, I sat down with the 17 department heads. These are the commanders and captains that are in charge of the 17 different communities, 
from engineering to public affairs to legal to you know the uh, the air boss and uh, what they had been used to prior to my arrival was uh, the executive officer coming in and then telling them everything that they needed to know and what they were going to do and then they might have a chance to say a few words uh, i walked into that meeting and i said okay i want to hear from each and every one of you first and then i'll make a couple comments at the end that approach to be a listener first as opposed to a communicator or transmitter first was part of the methodology that I try to continue today. And when we do communicate, uh, again, being open, transparent, uh, being as exact as you can, but there's another piece to that also, and that is uh, to be action oriented. In other words, following up on the things that you propose, the things that you say that you're going to do, uh, and then be able to assess appropriately the things that you're doing to make those adjustments. Uh, and I'll give you just an example of how that's applied here. So. Uh, in the midst of COVID-19, as I speak to my counterparts across the nation, the other system leadership, the other campus leaders, uh, even within our Big Ten, uh, which is the, you know, the Power Five conference that the University of Nebraska-Lincoln Cornhuskers compete in, I have found there are really kind of three types of leaders uh, who have been immersed into this COVID-19 world that we're in right now. There are those that are wishing it away, just hoping that a vaccine shows up and that this will all go away. There's another group that is uh, kind of frozen in inaction, waiting for more perfect information before they make a decision. This is showing up on college campuses that can't decide what their schedule is going to be or what their, um, whether they're even going to be open in the spring to go either online or remote education or, or be in person. And then there are, are, there are, and I'd say it's probably in the 10% to 20% grouping, those that have been proactive. You know, I'm thinking about Mitch Daniels at Purdue, um, a, a number and even some at the Ivy Leagues that have said, hey, we don't have perfect information. We're going to be ready for that. And for us here to be the CEO of these four campuses with a $4.5 billion economic impact, uh, I realize I only have two main levers to push and pull on. One is the state aided budget, which I can only have so much impact, but the other and a big one is enrollment. So uh, enrollment involves tuition, cost of attendance, housing, meals, books, fees. And uh, most college campuses are worried about a 15 to 20% enrollment drop because of COVID-19. And I decided we were not gonna be part of that statistic. So uh, we rolled out a plan in less than just a couple weeks. And over the last five weeks, these are the actions we've taken. We announced a program called Nebraska Promise, which was free tuition for any a uh, future student whose family earns 60,000 adjusted gross income or less. That is the median income for the state of Nebraska. Second, we announced that we would be open and that we would plan with detail and safety how to open up our campus. Uh, the third is uh, we looked at our uh, online pricing and reduced our online programs to match our in-person uh, courseware. Third is we froze tuition over the next two years. And finally, we adjusted our schedule to minimize travel over the fall session by starting a little bit earlier remotely, having students come in late August and having all in-person classroom work done by Thanksgiving. Those five actions just since April 17th have, cost our, have caused our applications to go up as of today, 22%. So to put that in perspective, uh, that is uh, a significant rise, higher applications for us this year than we've had over the last four years. Uh, so we've swung the needle completely opposite. And this is where we can assess now, we've got to turn those applications into enrollment. 
and we can minimize economic impact and maybe even grow our student body. So I'm very excited about how Nebraskans specifically have reacted to you know, our open communication to make sure that we are open, that we are welcoming, and that we are accessible. As a follow-up, we talk on this show about the relationship between senior leaders and their either their head communicator or their communications team, and that it's very much a give and take, um, and that the two sides of that coin should learn from each other. Um, you are well known in your uh, Navy career, and I would imagine in your current role, it, it's the same, that you're a very good teacher when it comes to communication, that each of the people that have worked for you have learned as much as maybe they've they've helped you learn. Um, can you talk a little bit about kind of the relationship between you and your communicator or you and your communications team and what you try to do to uh, get the most out of that and to help them learn as they spend time with you? There's no doubt that communications is really key. I'll, I'll tell you one thing that I learned uh, while I was executive officer on USS Harry S. Truman, and then when I was in command of the USS Carl Vinson, is uh, how you communicate, how you uh, learn from uh, your workforce, either those that are direct reports to you or those that you report directly to. Uh, what I have learned is uh, more frequent communications and shorter bursts are better than long gaps between communicating and where you try to produce a longer communication, you know, the, the old days of sending out a every weekly email with a sum, summary of activity and maybe some, uh, you know, results. Uh, I think those are things of the past. Um, so what I did and what I learned from being XO on Truman and, and then CO on, on uh, USS Carl Vinson is I had a meeting every morning, first thing in the morning with key leaders, maybe not with all 17 of the department heads, but uh, the chaplain, uh, the executive officer, uh, the senior medical officer, and more days than not, the public affairs officer. And um, that's an interesting group, but they gave me uh, the information I needed to know what the tone of the ship was, at least at the start of the day, based on what it might happen overnight or the previous day. You know, what, what the sick call line was, uh, what type of, uh, you know, conduct issues we might be having, what type of communications were happening in and off the ship. And I still use that uh, mechanism today. So I sit down with my key leadership uh, before this call today. I just had a, a, a half an hour conference call with my three campus leaders, and we actually talked about how we're communicating uh, in the current situation that we're in. And it wasn't for me to tell them how to do it. I wanted to hear some of their ideas, because uh, even though we may think we know what right looks like, there's always somebody that's going to add to the best possible answer. So being open and listening to that uh, before you uh, make your final decision for how you're going to move forward. I, I think that's really, really important. Admiral Bashan Mann here. Uh, I, there's a little bit of irony when Chris was was talking, harking back to 19 years ago. Uh, one of my favorite pictures, and I, I, I've showed this to you in the past, is that picture of you and I standing with uh, with Bruce Willis uh, as we were about to take on the, uh, the premiere of Tears of the Sun. Um, to hear you talk about, you know, the uh, that that back and forth uh, of communication styles uh, is very interesting. Given where we are um, today, and we we had talked about uh, that a little bit before we got on air. Um, as you see, uh, whether it's COVID, whether what's happening right now, really across the nation, um, we talk a lot about 
communication in crisis uh, on this show. So if you can harken back to when you were in uniform and, and to where you are now, the, the skill set of being able to communicate in crisis and what sort of planning is involved. Um, what, what, are, what are those things that will lead you or lead a, an organization to success um, when, when facing a crisis? Can you speak a little bit uh, to your experience with that? Yeah, Sean, that's a really great question. Uh, and by the way, I do remember that uh, that premiere uh, for Tears of the Sun, and I and I still see that picture of you and I uh, on the red carpet every once in a while, and it makes me smile. Uh, you know, anytime you're in a crisis, anytime that you're going to be the principal communicator, uh, you need to make sure that you understand the words really matter, and you need to make sure that you're hitting some key themes for what you want transmitted. Don't overcomplicate it. Keep it simple to one, two, or three at the most ideas. Uh, and then make sure you've got your finger on the pulse of what's happening, what's in the what's in the, the hearts and minds of the audience that you're communicating with. Uh, and you know, just think about where we are today and how much rhetoric is out there, um, how divisive our nation feels and seems right now. Um, I am uh, acutely sensitive to uh, how difficult this time is. And I've had to do a lot of reflection on my own. Um, you know, I had a lot of experiences in the Navy. I've uh, experienced uh, racial friction in the late 70s and early 80s. And uh, maybe I had a, a false sense that we were doing so much better. And, you know, I, I can't say that I know what is in the heart of my African-American friends and colleagues because I've not walked a mile in their shoes. So it's a key moment for all of us, regardless of what the color of our skin is or what our experiences are, that we should be empathetic, we should be listening, uh, we should be uh, thinking about uh, tone and temperature uh, and realizing that uh, words matter. Uh, and there's a lot of uh, high pressure, intense uh, feelings out there, a combination of people being locked down uh, for two to three months uh, because of COVID-19 on top of you know, this this horrible, horrible killing of uh, George Floyd that um, we should all, you know, not forget that. And as we go forward, we, we can't just uh, think that we're going to move forward with just a bunch of flowery words or, you know, setting up some more listening sessions or, or meetings or, you know, setting up some protests. Uh, we're going to have to have a bias for action as we think about what the future will portend. Uh, I just went back and reviewed the last 10 years of actions that were taken on our campuses here in Nebraska. Uh, and there were a lot of Black Lives Matter events that happened here over the last 10 years. And uh, not really much came out of it, I have to admit. And uh, I'm committed myself as a university president to make sure that uh, we do take real action as we think about how we're gonna make uh, our race relations better for everybody. This idea of unity and not uh, dividing ourselves, but unifying ourselves is going to be really critical in the next couple of years and and uh, you know decades ahead. I'm actually glad that you said that. The, the fact that you that you're going to put in place a plan to move forward, uh, that you took the time to to look back to do the research uh, to see what was going on uh, on the campus or, or I guess throughout the the Nebraska system there. Um, are there are there mechanisms in place uh, in terms of people being able to communicate or you to communicate? Uh, with the student body, with the faculty, uh, and 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 the surrounding community, uh, for what you all are doing there or plan to do in the future. 
Yeah, we're already been uh, involved in that. Uh, the Black Student Union here at the University of Nebraska Lincoln, a very active group, uh, communicated directly uh, with me and the university uh, chancellor, uh, and we've communicated back and forth that we're, we have planned meetings. Uh, the African American faculty and staff have made communications. Uh, I'm doing a press conference with the governor uh, this next week, and uh, we're not trying to be overreactive to say, hey, we're going to do A, B, C, and D. Again, we're more in the listening mode now. Um, there's going to be some more uh, engagement uh, with a, a number of these groups, and, and I want to hear more from them uh, because, uh, like I said, it's really important that we be empathetic and listening. I'll get us closer to the finish line here. First of all, thank you so much for the candor and, and, the, and the wisdom of your answers. I, I've always been a great benefactor of of uh, you know, your, your approach to communication and your approach to leadership. And I have no doubt that the people of uh, Nebraska are the benefactors. Now, I'll, I'll ask you, as you came into the position in January, you sort of missed uh, what, what I like to call the, uh, the, one of the most special places in uh, the country on a football Saturday, and that's Lincoln, Nebraska. Uh, you came in after the football season, but it, you know, not to make it a weird segue from Black Lives Matter to college football, but I think a lot of the uh, money being discussed about um, you know, the value of sports is tied in and around college football, and obviously college football is wildly popular uh, in Lincoln. So how have you, what communication have you had with the NCAA about what the possible paths forward have been? How has, how has your communication been with your athletic director and your coaches? And, and what do you think the future holds for athletics in the fall semester? So I'm very, very fortunate that I was on the NCAA board uh, my last year at the Naval Academy. Uh, I have a personal relationship with Mark Emmert. I, I was able to have a communication with him. In fact, he and I were in Washington, DC to talk about name, image, and likeness with some key uh, Senate leadership. Um, and uh, I've already established a relationship with, uh, you know, our three undergraduate campus uh, athletic directors and, and the sports community, which, as you pointed out, is it's so huge here in Nebraska. There are no pro sports in the entire state of Nebraska, with the exception of some minor league teams. So college athletics here is is the thing. And uh, you, as you pointed out, I mean, Husker football is uh, is a cottage industry unto itself. Five-time national champions, Memorial Stadium built right at the conclusion of World War One, holds over 90,000 fans, been sold out since 1962, the longest sellout streak of any college sports program uh, really in the world. Uh, so yes, people here care deeply about athletics. But here's my perspective, and it uh, it's not inconsistent with all other parts of the academic and higher admission. What people are really, really anxious for right now is a sense of calm and a sense of predictability. So when it comes to sports in the fall and NCAA athletics, uh, my message for Nebraskans and others is, uh, you know, we will get to that. We are figuring out how to do in-person classroom education, teaching and learning safely and in-person because 80% of all students across the nation have told us they don't want to be online anymore. They want the full, you know, the whole body experience, uh, the whole person experience of being on campus, and that includes athletics. So uh, we're going to have athletics in the fall. Uh, I can't tell you if the schedule is going to go off as planned. I mean, Navy Notre Dame has already moved out of Ireland. Looks like it's going to be a Navy uh, Marine Corps Memorial Stadium, which I think will be an amazing television event. 
Will stadiums be one third, half, three quarters, or even full? Uh, I think that's going to be up to local, state, and city uh, rules that uh, will have the uh, aspects of all health and safety of their citizens in mind. Uh, I know whatever numbers we allow in Memorial Stadium here in, in Lincoln, Nebraska, will be sold out continuously. They'll be uh, those will be the hottest tickets available. Uh, and I'm I'm personally looking forward to that uh, the value of that competition, the energy of college athletics to come back. Uh, as big as football is here, uh, Husker women's volleyball is a close second. Uh, they uh, have an 8,000 person stadium and they sell out and is one of the hottest tickets you can get. So again, we've got to think through how we can put fans in there because fans are part of the college sports experience, uh, but we have to be able to do it safely. Uh, and then we've just got to be paying attention to all the other health issues that are out there so we can take care of our most important constituents, our students, but also uh, everybody else here in the Nebraska communities. We really appreciate you joining us uh, on uh, Three Season of Pod. I'm gonna let Bashan take us out, but personally, um, I, I will tell you the same thing that I told you at my retirement ceremony. And again, thank you very much for presiding over that, but you are most definitely one of the most inspirational leaders and communicators I've ever been around and the people of Nebraska are lucky to have you. Uh, I'll make one last shout out for you to, uh, to my recommendation is to head down either to Lazari's Pizza or to Sidetracks and uh, and say hi to Seth Regan for me down there and in, in Lincoln and uh, let's hope that the uh, let's hope that we return to normal uh, so that you can get inside Memorial Stadium and see a game in there. Thank you all very much. That was Admiral Ted Carter, President of the University of Nebraska Systems. Thank you for taking some time to be with us today, Admiral, and uh, we look forward to seeing you here back inside the Beltway. Uh, whenever you can get back east. So we appreciate your time with us. Thank you, Bashan. All right, now, folks, it's time for a quick break. Stick with us. You're listening to Three Season of Pod. At Provision Advisors, we specialize in strategic communication planning, execution, and coaching for senior level leaders and communicators dedicated to achieving success. We work together with your team to achieve favorable outcomes amid contentious or controversial issues which directly impact relationships and market identity. And we're back. Uh, it's time to look out on the horizon as we uh, as we do each week. Uh, this week will be a little bit different in that we just want to address uh, some of the issues that are going on around us. Uh, can't seem to escape the current culture shift uh, that's going on uh, in America. We touched on it a little bit in our interview with Admiral Carter um, I'm just going to go around the room. Uh, when we, you know, we've talked a bit offline um, about what businesses, service organizations, uh, you know, the military services, how we're all reacting um, to what's going on uh, in our nation right now. And it's like there's a news story every day that sort of, you know, makes you spin your head around or, or, or gives you a jolt. Uh, and we're asking a lot of questions. And from the business of Provision Advisors and this pod, 3Cs, you know, we talk about how you communicate. Uh, people are coming to us. We, you know, we've had people asking us to weigh in, uh, to, to provide assistance, whether it's a statement or our take on uh, how they should proceed as an organization and address some of these issues, uh, be it race or, um, you know, how, how, how do we even address something, something like Black Lives Matter? Um, and it's a delicate subject, right? It's a very delicate subject. Uh, and I think the one thing that we need, or the, at least that I want to point out, is that not everyone's an expert, all right? 
that that's something I think you need to admit, even as public relations professionals, communication professionals, not everyone's an expert. So I want to talk with each of you uh, and, and me to just give your, give your perspective. You know, I know it's a, it's a lot to process. I know a lot of people are just sort of trying to take a breath uh, with, with, with each day that we have here. Um, Chris, I'll go to you first. Um, where do you see things right now? Um, what's your take on it uh, as far as the, the, the business response, the, the how, how businesses and the organizations are, are responding to this from a branding issue? I think, like you, um, you see both positives and negatives in the response from businesses. Um, the brands that have a history of social awareness or have a history of doing business with um, the African-American community or on behalf of the African-American community, I think are navigating this uh, fairly well. Um, they're being genuine. I think that the groups that are new to this issue, excuse me, um, the groups that are new to this issue, the groups that don't really know where they want to go in the future and what they want to do, um, I think are struggling. And I think it's, you mentioned it last week. I mean, I think it's a little awkward and uh, how they, uh, on the types of things that they share or when, when they share it. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you, you mentioned uh, the mission of this podcast. I mean, we talk about three C's uh, and the three C's are control communication points and cosmetics. Yes. And so I think about this, and I don't want to take away from the social significance of what's going on. So please, uh, to the audience and please to you guys, don't don't take it that way. But it's hard for me to not view this, at least partially as a communicator, in addition to as a citizen yes. and as a, as a human. Yes. But I, I think, you know, as I run down those three things, for me, control is saying... Um, Saying something when it makes sense for you as a brand to say something, right? Um, there are people in the media, there are other influencers, there, there are other brands that will try to bully you into saying something sooner than you're ready or try to bully you into not saying anything at all. Right. Um, maintain control. Um, say something when you're ready. My recommendation is say something when you have something to say. If you don't have anything to say, if there is an action to back it up, don't say anything. It's a great point. On the communication point, on uh, you know the second C, think about what you're going to say, right? And why is it relevant to you? And what does it add to the discussion and to the debate about this uh, this topic? Um, if it's pablum, if it's a throwaway line. You know, people are going to see right through it, especially at a, at a time like this. And then third is the cosmetics point. What we mean by cosmetics is, is it's everything from how do you look to the optics that you put out when you're speaking. Is your Lily White CEO surrounded by black people the right optic that you want to send? Um, is your... Um, is your CEO de looking detached and away from real people, the message that you want to send? 
is your CEO in the middle of a protest looking like they've never been to an urban area, the message that you want to send? I, I don't, you know, I don't know. Right, I mean, it's, right. it's sort of unfair to poke at that. But I mean, you really want to think through what, what is that optic that you want to portray? Is the optic that you want to portray? And we made the decision it was not the optic for ProVision Advisors that we wanted to black out our social media. That, that wasn't what we wanted to do. So right. we thought through that. So I would just, not to belabor the point, but I would just encourage people to use that rubric of control, communication points, and cosmetics to think through some of these hard decisions and then think about how the audiences um, that you're communicating to including your internal audience, your workforce, how are they going to view what, when, and how you say something? Those are all great points. I hope, uh, John, I'll, I'll, I'll jump to you here in just a second. But Chris, to, the, to those points, I hope people who are listening play that back as much as they need to. If you're a communicator, if you are a PR professional and you are trying to get a, a just a baseline foundation of how do I get my boss, my leadership in the right place? Just listen to those points, all right? And, and ask yourself some very sincere and genuine questions uh, before creating that statement or, or jumping out there uh, in an interview. So yeah, that's great. The, the other thing I would say, just building on that last piece of advice before you go to John is... Um, I'm comfortable enough in my uh, role as a communication advisor to say racial tension is not my expertise. Mm -hmm. I, that, that's mm -hmm. not my lane, right? right? Um, what is our lane, and I think what is a lot of communicators' lanes, is understanding that rubric, understanding the timing and sequencing. So what I, the last thing I would say is if, if you are a communicator, one, and you're, you're asked to be a part of this discussion I'll steal your advice, Sean. Look around the room and see who's at the table, right? right? Because right. if you don't have the people, the right people at the table, you're not going to get those three things correct. They're not going to fit together uh, like Voltron, right? Isn't that <laughs> right, 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 right. No, yeah. I'm, the, I'm the blue battle cat. <laughs> but this is where we jump. I'm sorry to cut right. you no, off. There's, we, we call this three C's in a pod, and you mentioned the three C's there of, uh, of control, cosmetics, and communication. And that there can always be that proverbial fourth C and it's interchangeable, right? And I think here that fourth C for me is common sense. Lead with common sense. Yes, if you're not, if you if you declare yourself like, look, I am not someone who is astute in the studies of, of racial dynamics. Um, there are experts, there are people who who, who have researched and wrote books and, and, and all of that. So no, So know your lane. But we all have a common sense lane. And as communicators, it's our job. We, we you know, we've uh, been paid to to study the room, um, and 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 then go from there. John, I'll I'll go to you. I see you itching. Go ahead. <laughs> well, and and we're so happy. Um, you know, you said that you can see me itching to uh, chime in. We're actually doing this pod in each other's presence again for the first time in a long time, which is phenomenal. Ironically, um, at safe distances, it seems. I know. Like. <laughs> we, we just naturally <laughs> fell into it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we are the example that should be followed. But um, I, I, I'll touch on a couple of points. Number one, the common sense point. If you're a communicator, you know, it, it's nice to have common sense, but so many times we find that those communicators are uh, either impressionable or younger uh, individuals yearning for acceptance from senior staff. 
And thus, when presented with a communications issue, that communicator might fold to uh, a more influential or uh, shouting louder, um, more senior officer or more senior member of the staff. And, and those communicators out there have to, you know, kind of like what I said about Ted Carter at the beginning, like you have to ground yourself, you have to work your ass off to have an encyclopedic knowledge of your issues so that you have the confidence, the commensurate amount of confidence to sit there at the table and, and be able to say, nope, boss, I think that's dumb. And here's why. Um, so com common sense is it only takes you so far. Go ahead. I was just going to say, I also think the flip side of that coin, um, using that same analogy is you get bullied or influenced by the audience, um, especially in today's social media world. And I don't want to blame social media. I'm not, um, but the feedback, the immediate feedback yes. can cause you to have blinders and cause you to maybe lose that North Star. So you really have to balance the needs of the leadership team with the needs, the perceived needs of the audience and make sure that you are that voice, that barometer for where the organization really needs to go based on the strategy, the goals, whatever of that group. Yeah, what, what, what is your mission and vision and remain, remain grounded in it? And you heard Admiral Carter talk about it so well, you know, that, that, you know, we're adding letters to the three C's, like it's now four C's and an L, like my L is listening. But, but, you know, Ted Carter said it perfectly that, that he just had not only on race issues, but on issues that were affecting the entirety of the uh, university system in Nebraska because of COVID that he just had to sit there and process and listen to the people. And, and that takes patience. And, and unfortunately, this is a very impatient time in an impatient world. I would, I'll double down on what Chris said that, you know, social media has now become this great avenue for people to flex their internet muscles. Like, hey, I can go tell someone to fuck off because, you know, I'm protected by my phone and I can just spout off and get confrontational with someone because, you know, I, I'm, I'm not physically around them. You know, I would encourage people to stop using that as your internet muscles machine and start using it as your third ear. Like use it to help you listen and hear and evaluate that feedback and then come back to how grounded you are in the mission and vision of your organization and then make actionable decisions. Like Admiral Carter talked about freezing tuition or, or making tuition free for any family that makes less than $64,000 a year. You know, they, he didn't just walk in and be like, Hey, I'm doing this to get popular. I'm going to, I'm going to go ahead and, and eliminate tuition for the, for the poorest families. He, he was trying to listen to how COVID is affecting a lot of people. They want to make sure their enrollment stays up. That's true to their mission as educators. And lo and behold, you know, you listen to him and, and when enrollment is struggling almost everywhere else in the country, here's Nebraska doing pretty well with enrollment. He's listening. He's using common sense. He is leading. He's communicating. So it, it, that, there's no just like magic booklet that, that three C's or provision advisors can provide anyone. But, you know, we, we encourage people to listen to these interviews and try to glean some wisdom from them. But the biggest thing is, before you shoot, just listen for a second. Use social media for listening instead of spouting off. That's my advice.
But Sean, I want to ask you a question. Um, when you, I'm looking at my the board that we kind of wrote points down on before we started, um, when you see this larger discussion devolve into discussions about Confederate icons or sports figures or you know military uh, bases or what businesses say and don't say, is that fragmentation helpful? Is it a distraction? Is it just something that we have to deal with? Um, and, and I ask you not only because you're a communicator, but you mm -hmm. you are a you know an African American man that has given this as we've talked about a lot more thought than than the two of us until recently. But um, you know, I, I want to get your take on kind of the fragmentation of the larger discussion. I'll try and keep this under uh, two minutes. <laughs> so. From my from my point of view, um, it, this is all wrapped up in this this very large package of what it means to be black in America, right? So, my parents had to deal with the civil rights era, you know, of the '60s when when they were in their in their twenties, um, and so I grew up in a household having to, you know, not. Not that, they, that, not that it was like uh, a punishment, like listening to those stories and having an understanding of where things were as I grew up 15, 20 years later uh, in, in the realities of, of just, you know, where we lived and, and you know, how the, you hear about the talk, right? Um, this, the, you know, the Confederate flag and the, the fragmentation that you talk about, for me... Does it get noisy? Sure, but I welcome the conversation. I'm, I'd rather the conversation happen than it not happen. And I think what I hope what people are starting to, to sort of understand now is that there's going to be some difficult conversations. It's wild to me that it's 2020 and we're having these difficult conversations because for so long, the, the conversation, like it's been going on at my dinner table, it's been going on at my Thanksgiving table, and it's just now, like, you, you have this sort of, oh, wait, wait, you know, and that to me is where I think some people within the black community are caught between, I'm angry, I'm frustrated, and now you're asking me to have understanding and patience, and there becomes this, like, you know, no, I, I'm yeah. just, I'm tired, right? Like, why, why is it now? And, and I almost feel like they were, like, were we supposed to be prepared for this moment? And so there is a, there's a bit of agita to all of that, to, to the fragmentation. Like, what? There's more stuff we have to talk about? Because when you saw the Bubba Wallace thing and you saw the reaction, I, was I surprised by any of it? No, but it's more energy that you have to put towards, oh, there's some people who are going to fight this. So my black humanity, my humanity as a person who is black is still being questioned. And I'm going to have to continue to to fight that where, wherever I go. There's no, it's it again, great that people are having the conversation. I understand the conversations are difficult. 
and there's going to be more of them, it's just, it makes you dog tired. When, yeah. you, when you just, when, when you know what, when you just want, especially now, because this is, by the way, this is all happening during a global health pandemic. Right. So, so, so the issue is like the three of us, I think I was, I was damn near giddy as I was, you know, coming down to, to, to your house here. Um, one, because I was out of the house and then two, because I was going to see you guys, like, believe it or not, I actually liked the two of you. You know what I mean? <laughs> Like, and, and we're, we're, we're shipmates, we're friends, we're fathers. Like, don't we just want to have a cookout? Don't we just want to go out on the boat? Don't we just want to go out and play golf? All first world type things and blessings and all of that. But hey, man, we're also all different colors in this room. And that's not something that, like, is it something that we're aware of? Sure. But it's not something that leads our damn conversations every second of the day. All right? Because we have bigger issues that we're we're trying to deal with as family men, as businessmen, you know, as people just walking around trying to keep our heart rate right. You know what I mean? So there's this other layer of things now that this nation is, is, is in a tug of war with. And, and, and now we're being asked to, Hey, can you help me get, to this place or whatever, you know, it's, and, and it's part of, I mean, we talked about this, uh, earlier in the week. Uh, it is part of that arrogance and that privilege, um, to expect or to ask for your understanding or your help as I, somebody that really hasn't contemplated these issues on the magnitude that I have over the last two weeks. Um, but to ask you to understand that and to ask you to help me do that, it, it does sort of add insult to injury, right? I mean, I, I, I recognize that. That said, like, we can't fuck this up, right? I mean, collectively, <laughs> right. we can't fuck this right, up. Right. I mean, this is a moment, right? Uh, and so, like, I know white people... Um, non-white but non-black people are are they may not be used to talking about this right right, right? right. so they are going to make mistakes uh, and so the I guess the question is is like is there enough cohesiveness and enough commitment for sort of us to kind of move through this in the midst of the mistakes John you're shaking your head I, I'm trying to be more upbeat but I get your point I, well, I think you can. All you have to do is look at Twitter today, and and I think for a lot of people, they'd be heartened by the fact that General Milley came out and and issued a very stark and and provocative apology for his role in the um, uh, breaking up the protesters uh, outside of St. John Church. Um, the the issue then becomes that every single time I think certain audiences believe that that national leaders and, and uh, you know, other people of influence are getting it. Um, you know, the, the counter posts to Millie's apology have already been met with, like, he needs to resign from the MAGA crowd. Like, he, you know, he's absolutely, you know, turning on Trump, you know, typical, um, you know, typical holdover from, from the Obama administration, which isn't even true. 
but yeah, like every single time, every single time someone tries to come out and and be fundamentally good and fundamentally listen to what's going on out there, you have Captain Bethman down in Jacksonville, you know, accidentally getting on Facebook Live. You know, anyone can claim that that's not really who they are and that's not really what they want to be. Um, but, you know, you're, you know, I'm, again, we're going to quote Mike Ritchie from Governor Hogan's office for like the millionth time here. But, you know, your actions, uh, those are the ones that deliver the clarity. Um, you know, and, and sometimes your actions are hurtful words and there are too many hurtful words right now and not enough, not enough healing actions. So we talked a little bit about action items, sustainable, actionable items, right? If you're going to make a comment about how your company, how your organization, how your service is dealing with uh, racial and um, racial discrimination, um, uh, hiring procedures, um, just how, how they, whatever role they have in attacking systemic racism, uh, as it you know is somewhat pervasive in in, in this country. Um, it has to be sustained. Okay. And, and, and I guess, do, do I get a chance to throw out the fifth C here? Right. That fifth C is, is culture, right? What is the, I guess earlier you had talked about being sort of browbeat by social media or, you know, or just the pressure that social media drives. Cause that's what's happening, right? Social people are paying attention to social media. Hey, this come NASCAR made a statement. Uh, Major League Baseball made a statement. So, so I've got to make a. You know, we have to do this. Um, and every day, um, I think you know we're seeing like Starbucks just making a, a, a statement uh, about about how they're going to approach a certain matter. So, what is it that you are going to do to change the culture? Right. We 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 were living in a culture where it was like, oh, it's just kind of the way it is. Uh, you know, this is uh, Santa Claus is white and uh, that's just how it is going to be. And and whatever. I mean, choose, you know, Any whatever. Icon, yeah. Right. Um, and, you know, sort of the stere these, these stereotypes and things that become just a part of the automatic way that we that we do business and not understanding, hey, wait a minute, that it doesn't have to, it shouldn't be that way. Not that it doesn't have to be that way, it just shouldn't be that way. So how do we change that? And how do we bring everybody along to keep Confederate flags from waving at a NASCAR event? Um, how, do we, how do we make sure that that's a permanent culture change? And people who are at the very top levels all the way down to the, whether you're where you are in the pit crew or in concessions or, or wherever you are, buying into, you know, that decision, uh, proper decision-making. And it's not going to be easy. It's going to be a battle because you're going to have to, you know, convince people that, hey, this is actually um, inhumane, right? The hum I, I talked about this earlier off air. The humanity of my blackness needs to become something that's not only accepted, but actually valued. Yeah, considered that 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 I can bring Basil and Sabine, you know, in some place, and they're going to be treated just like Anthony and Ava, just like uh, Colin, William, and Carter. And there it is. All right. Thank you, gentlemen. As always, it's a pleasure. 
All right. It's good to see you guys. Folks, we want to thank you for listening. We appreciate you joining in on today's conversation. If you're looking for more information as your business or organization navigates the communication environment, please feel free to reach out to us at provisionadvisors.net. And in the meantime, folks, we implore you, be mindful and be safe. Thank you for listening to Three C's in a Pod. Have a great week.